Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, along with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. Um, and Eric, we saw what I'm pretty sure was an unprecedented moment in the ring in Manchester, England on Saturday when Franchon Cruz de Zern sang the national anthem prior to her super middleweight title fight with uh, Savannah Marshall. And... She was pretty damn good, actually. Um, but, you know, so anyway, what with this being the July 4th weekend, you being the natural-born American in this podcast, and thus the only one of the two of us who can run for president, <laughs> the floor is yours. The opportunity is yours. I know that you would like to do your patriotic duty and sing the national anthem for us. <clears throat> okay, here it goes. <clears throat> me, 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 me. <clears throat> okay. I'll say, can you So how did I sound? Let that be the only time we have that woman on this podcast. <laughs> I suspect it will. <laughs> you know, you know, if you would have bet that uh, that rendition of the national anthem would be a low point for Roseanne's public image, you'd have been very wrong. <laughs> seriously oh my god yeah when somebody tells you who they are pay attention yes indeed um but uh to to echo what you were uh, saying at the very top there uh yeah pretty solid singing from franchon cruz de Zern. um yeah. it was unfortunately the, the the mic was going in and out on her a bit yeah. but that wasn't her fault i i thought she was uh far better than, than the woman who sang god save the king um, that was odd yeah, that and so I had no idea that they changed the song to King instead of Queen when there's a king. Uh, you likely knew that, I'm guessing. Right. Yeah, okay. I would have thought it was self-evident, but yes. <laughs> Maybe it should have been. It's just there's been a queen all my life, and that song is God Save the Queen. I never knew there was yes. an alternate version. But yeah, uh, It still feels sounds weird to me because, indeed, my whole life it's, it's been God Save the Queen, and it still feels a, a little strange. But And I wonder how many singers screw it up. Right. That's that's a good question. Um, but uh, yeah, the, that that performance of that, uh, I was not, I was not a fan of. But uh, but Franchon Cruz is earned. I mean, to sing an anthem right before the biggest fight of your life. Huge points for guts. Just just for Unreal. doing that. It's a whole different kind of uh, dare to be great, to use uh, Brian, Brian Campbell's uh, favorite terminology. Seriously, and I believe that the Star Spangled Banner is a notoriously difficult song to sing anyway, right? Like, even if you're a professional singer, it's a tough assignment. So to do that prior to another tough assignment is quite something. Well, so. you just you just heard me try it. I thought it sounded pretty good, right? Come on. Did you, though? <laughs> I guess I didn't. Um, <laughs> you know, though, the, just thinking of this uh, singing and then boxing right afterwards, maybe uh, maybe this should be a new Olympic combined discipline event, a new biathlon. <laughs> it, it's certainly, it's no sillier than combining skiing and shooting a gun, right? Well, the whole Olympic boxing thing is up for grabs right now. So right. what the hell? Maybe, Maybe this it is needs the, this. This is the way yeah. to save it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, this week on the podcast, as we head into a big welterweight weekend, we will welcome back to the show undefeated rising star Jerron Boots Ennis. And we will preview his Showtime Championship Boxing main event Saturday in Atlantic City against Royman Villa, uh, as well as the showdown in San Antonio between two more unbeaten 147 pounders, Virgil Ortiz Jr. and Amantis Danionis. 
Also, we'll have some heavyweight discussion from Jared Big Baby Anderson being taken the distance for the first time to Zhang Jelay, Joe Joyce 2 getting finalized. And I'll give Eric his next top five assignment. Also put his brain to the test with a round of the fight game. Uh, but we have to start with the major news that broke Friday afternoon when Canelo Alvarez announced his next fight on social media. And it turned out everyone who'd prematurely announced who his next opponent would be was one letter off. <laughs> yeah, we got a shocking plot twist, as it will be Canelo versus Charlo, but not Jermall, as was widely assumed, but rather Jermel, a classic identical twin switcheroo, like in The Parent <laughs> Trap, or when referee Earl Hebner was posing as his brother Dave and handed Andre the Giant <laughs> a win over Hulk Hogan. Uh, according to reporting from several sources, Canelo versus middleweight Jermall was never quite a done deal, and Jamal, who's been inactive about two years and dealing with issues in his personal life, said he won't be ready to fight in September. So the Alvarez camp pivoted and made the fight with junior middleweight champion Jermel, allowing Canelo to announce on social media that it's undisputed versus undisputed. The four-belt king at 168 pounds versus the four-belt king at 154, moving up two divisions. Uh, also, the fight will not be on Mexican Independence Day weekend, as many assumed it would be, as T-Mobile Arena is booked for September 16th, so this fight will be September 30th. And everyone expects it'll be on Showtime pay-per-view, but there's no formal announcement of that yet. And as we should have learned by now, if there's no formal announcement, yep. it's not a done deal. Uh, lots to discuss here, but let's start, Kieran, with your gut reaction to the matchup. Uh, when it seemed it was Jamal, the criticism was that he'd be coming off a long layoff. Now that it's Jermel, the criticism is that he's too small. Otherwise, it's mostly praise for either matchup. Uh, where are you landing on the various pros and cons of this move from one Charlo to the other for Canelo? Obviously, the first thing to do is admit that not only was I not expecting this, I didn't even think about it as a possibility. Uh, just last week, we discussed the likely or, or our preferred opponents for Canelo's three fight deal with PBC. Neither of us thought to even mention Jamel. Um, and the fact that I think the fact that this is so out of left field is one of the reasons why some people hate this. Um, but once I got over the confusion and shock, and <laughs> hey, thanks to everyone at Showtime for keeping us in the loop. Um, and I thought about this. Um, you know what? I like it. I, I like the angle of one brother stepping in to fight on behalf of the other. I very much like the undisputed versus undisputed angle, uh, according to our friend Lee Groves. That's, this is the first time this has happened among men since Carlos Monzon versus Jose Napoles in 1974. Mm. Wow. But of course, it is just the second time this year in boxing altogether after Chantel Cameron versus Katie Taylor. Right. Um, I'm not any more concerned about the size difference than I was about Jamal, really. It wasn't that many years ago that Canelo was resisting the pressure to move up to 160 to face Gennady Golovkin because he said he was a 154-pound fighter. And look, if you're okay with Jamal moving up to super middle, you should be fine with Jamal. Um, they have essentially the same physique. Uh, I know you've told me that you think you can just about tell them apart now <laughs> just about i'm not at all sure that i can and it, it isn't just because they have basically identical facial features um granted mel hasn't experienced being hit in a fight by a 160 pounder let alone a 168 pounder right and i might have liked this a bit more if canelo had dropped eight pounds and mel had risen six and they'd met in the middle but so be it um 
I think Jamal has actually fought a higher quality of opponent than Jamal has. So uh, I think it's something we've, we've talked about in the past. Yeah. Um, so he brings that to the table. Look, Canelo is going to enter a big favorite here. Um, but both Charlos have reach and length and speed uh, over him. I've always had a bit of a sneaking suspicion they could be almost like Canelo's kryptonite. Just as I long had a suspicion they might be Golovkin's. Um, I do think it's possible that the twins have both passed their peak years. Um, and even in the rematch with Brian Castaño, Charlo was getting touched a, a bit and one wonders what would happen if Canelo did that to him. Equally, I don't think there's too much question that Canelo has passed his peak. So basically, there are lots of questions and unknowns about this matchup, right. which I think shows that it's a compelling one, personally. Yeah. Um, I, I think the legitimate grievances around this, and you know, obviously I'm willing to hear what, what other people feel and, and obviously what, what you feel, but I think the most legitimate grievances around this surround who the two men are consequently not facing. So from a Canelo perspective, that's obviously David Benavidez. Right. And the fact that Canelo is now facing Jamel does raise the entirely realistic possibility that if he wins, the second fight of the three will be Jamal, um, right. leaving Benavidez further out in the cold. But then, you know, Benavidez seems to be trying not to face David Morrell. And, and, and if he feels that a Canelo fight is getting away from him, maybe that makes him feel more compelled to take that fight in an attempt to sort of force himself into that. And, of course, it also leaves Tim Zhu out in the cold. He was expecting to challenge Jamel. Now he has to go in another direction. Uh, Dan Raphael reported that a source said that the Zhu camp, quote, took it pretty well. Excuse me, I should have said Dan Raphael, shouldn't I? Forgive me. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Do you, do you even, can't have believe you ever, I do you even know him? Slip. Come on. Oh my goodness! I apologize. Uh, um, I'll I'll uh, I'll call him at ESPN to apologize for that. Right. Um, Zoo did sub subsequently post: Canelo is ducking Benavidez, Charlo is ducking Zoo. Um, but one thing I will say, actually, we wondered prior to prior to Zoo taking on Tony Harrison whether it was wise for him to do so with Charlo awaiting. Well, after knocking out Harrison, wiping out Carlos De Campo. Zoo looks pretty damn smart for doing that instead yes. of waiting around now, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Especially if those fights have sort of enhanced his value. All of that said, that's what I think about the whole thing. Uh, basically pretty excited, although I do feel for, for Zoo and, and Benavidez. Let me get your thoughts on Jamel versus Zoo, especially being a casualty uh, of Canelo versus Jamel. And, and how does this change your expectations of how that three-fight Canelo PBC deal will shake out now? Yeah, very interesting question about the three-fight PBC deal. Uh, I'll, I'll address the zoo topic quickly first. I can't lie. I'm bummed we're not getting that fight. I, I was really excited for it. Uh, thought it had the potential to be extremely competitive and, and you have to feel bad for zoo, although he's obviously not shy about staying busy and, and getting paid well to draw crowds in Australia. So I'm sure he'll find someone else to fight in the, in the interim, probably try for a vacant belt that inevitably gets stripped from Jermel and, uh, you know, maybe... He can get his showdown with Jermel next spring if Jermel loses sure. to Canelo. Um, but uh, great, great point about uh, him taking the Harrison fight and uh, and the other fight recently and staying busy that he could have spent this whole year waiting for yeah. Jermel and ended up not fighting all year. So um, the three fight deal, this definitely shakes it up. And as you said, this opens up the possibility that two of the three fights will be against Charlos. Um, now, of course, if Jermel beats Canelo on September 30th, most likely the next fight is a rematch. But uh, if Canelo wins, clearly a, a twin brother tries for revenge angle yeah. is marketable. And so Canelo-Jermel could maybe be the fight next May. 
And then we hope for Canelo versus Benavidez or Morel in the third fight of the deal. That would be a fairly ideal one, two, three punch. Um, if I'm going to be cynical, I'll sit here and say Canelo beats Jermel, fights some John Ryder level guy in May, and then finishes the deal against Jamal and never fights mm. Benavidez or Morel. Mm. Um, either way, it would seem Canelo fighting both Charlos over the course of the deal is very much in play. Yeah. Um, two other side plots that I want to chime in on, on here. Uh, first, four belt champ versus four belt champ is cool. And as you said, uh, historically very unique. But I prefer to think of it as lineal champ versus lineal sure. champ. You know, they each hold the one championship that matters in sure. their division, the one that can't be stripped the one that you win or lose in the ring. So I realized, you know, that was some semantic boxing nerdery that I digressed with there, but uh, had to get it out. Uh, the other thing, how about our guy, Derek James? Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the last time a trainer had two fights this big, this close together. On July 29th, Spence against Crawford, and on September 30th, Jermel against Canelo. He's the head trainer in two enormous fights, two career-defining fights for his guys in a span of 63 days, all while training Anthony Joshua and Ryan yeah. Garcia and Frank Martin and others. What a time this is for Derek when it rains, it pours and uh, it is torrential in his gym right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No question. I hope we're able to get Derek on soon. We, we talked about getting him on. And right. the amazing thing is if we were like, I think our assumption was if we were able to get Derek on, the entire conversation, or most of it, would be about Crawford Spence. It probably wouldn't even be the lead question right now, which is <laughs> right. amazing. Right. It's it's very good that we didn't happen to line him up for this week and and do is. do the interview a couple of days ago and have no mention of. Uh, <laughs> we would have been asking him probably a question or two about Charlo and Zoo, and uh, that would have been useless. So uh, I'm glad we haven't already done that interview. I hope we are able to do it very soon. Indeed. Uh, so we still have about three months to analyze Canelo versus Charlo. Let's now analyze a fight that's just days away. This Saturday, Boots Ennis versus Raymond Villa from Jim Whalen Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City. This is the site of the first boxing card I ever covered, and I will return there this Saturday to see Ennis fight in person for the first time and to see what one presumes will be a highly entertaining style matchup. Last time out for Boots... Not so entertaining of a style matchup. In January, he went the full 12 rounds for the first time, having to settle for hearing unanimous shutout scores at the end of his fight with survival-minded Karen Chikajian. But in Royman Villa, Boots is taking on someone much more offense-oriented. Fans will recall that on the same card as Ennis Chikajian, Villa rallied with two knockdowns in the 12th round to pull out a dramatic majority decision win over Rashidi Ellis in a barn burner earning this opportunity against a man most regard as a pound-for-pounder in waiting. Boots is 30-0 with 27 knockouts. Villa is 26-1 with 24 knockouts. 12 of those 24 coming in the first round. Kieran, do you think it's correct to call Villa the most dangerous opponent yet for Boots Ennis? And or is it correct to call him made-to-order for Boots? Uh, what do you think of this style matchup? So I think in terms of raw punching power, yeah, absolutely. Via is the mo most dangerous opponent Ennis has faced yet. In terms of everything that he brings to the table, power, skills, defense, experience, quality of opposition, uh, he's not, I don't know that he's more dangerous for boots than Sergei Lipinets or Thomas Delorme were at that stage uh, where boots was at. But he's in that ballpark. He's mm -hmm. one of the two or three or four most difficult opponents that Boots has had. The problem is, notwithstanding how underwhelming the last contest was, I, I think that Boots is so good that every matchup 
it's going to feel a little underwhelming mm. for him until he gets like that real shot of the brass ring. But that this is, to my mind, to answer the other part of your question, yes, a far better style matchup for him than Chikatian was. Uh, styles make fights, as we always say. And Chikatian was not only a terrible matchup for Boots. The way he boxed that night, he'd be a terrible matchup for anybody, particularly the fans. Um, the key here, I think, for Boots is how he responds to that relative disappointment. And again, he won the fight by a country mile, right. um, but didn't look fantastic, didn't get his knockout. Does he put pressure on himself and maybe tighten himself up a little bit too much with that pressure? Or does he think, you know what? That, I'm done now. I'm free now. I don't have to worry about getting a knockout all the time. That knockout streak is gone. I can relax a little bit more in these fights and I can do what I want to do. Um, you know, and so we'll see about that. He seems like he's a pretty, you know, level-headed guy and I suspect he's more likely to be the latter. Um, I will slightly say the is he isn't he tailor-made for boots until i actually make my pick right um but i will note that via's never been knocked down as a pro so it won't necessarily be easy for boots to knock him out but that of course is what a lot of the audience is going to be expecting so let me ask you this how much shine would come off of boots Ennis, if he is forced to go the distance for the second fight in a row you're making the trip to ac for this as you mentioned Apart from proximity, what is luring you there? Is it the prospect of a great fight or more the prospect of a great performance by a special talent? The easy answer is to say that it's a bit of both luring me there. Uh, I'm hoping okay. to see both. But I thought about it. If if it was Boots Ennis versus some absolute no-hoper welterweight club fighter, and it was in Atlantic City on this particular we weekend when I'm available... I would still be going just to see the Boots Ennis show in person. So I guess I'd have to say I'm more going to see Boots than going with the expectation of a great fight. But it absolutely could be a great fight. Uh, I would fully expect it to be a fun fight for as long as it lasts. Hmm. Certainly a chance of a very one-sided fight. Uh, you'll recall mm -hmm. Speedy Rashidi Ellis was easily outboxing via until he wasn't uh I, I think i had ellis sweeping the first six or seven rounds before the mm. fight flipped so in terms of this being like a really exciting dramatic fight that requires via to get some business done which is an open question whether he can do that against boots so then the question of you know what if boots goes the distance again it absolutely would take some shine off him. Uh, the Jakajian fight did a little bit, um, but we were able to excuse that as the opponent just being there to survive, being a bad style matchup. Not the case with Via. Via, though dangerous, though a puncher, seems made to order for Boots to shine against, and unless he proves to have an all-time great shin, I would also say made to order for Boots to stop. Again, on paper. Um... Look, sometimes you just beat a guy up and, and can't quite stop him. Um, I'm thinking like Canelo versus Callum Smith, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not viewed negatively that it went the distance. Sometimes a fight is a little tougher than anyone expects and it goes the distance. We'll have to see exactly how it plays out to see how negatively it's viewed if this goes the distance. But yeah, in theory, if Boots goes the full 12 a second time in a row it could well remove that unofficial title of best up-and-comer in boxing. Um, not not to give away my pick, but 
he is supposed to win this fight by knockout on Saturday, even though Via is a good fighter who's never been stopped. That's just how highly we all regard Boots Ennis. We are both tiptoeing up to the precipice of announcing our picks here. <laughs> yes. So before we do that, and before we get into the preview of the undercard, uh, let's turn to this week's guest, and it is the man in question. Um, we spoke to him after the Chikatian fight, and now we're talking to him before this one. And we've spoken to him before that as well. So he's becoming quite the regular here mm-hmm. on the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Let's welcome now one of the most exciting and talked about contenders in the game right now, Jaron Boots Ennis. Boots, welcome back to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So, so Boots, you've had uh, six months now to reflect on being taken 12 rounds for the first time. Looking mm-hmm. back, is there anything you wish you'd done differently? Anything you think might have produced a KO despite your opponent's defensive style? Um, Just taking my time a little more, uh, being a little bit more relaxed, taking my time, jabbing, and starting at the body early and not waiting until the, till the second half to start at the body. You know, there's a lot of things I could have did, you know, picking it up a little bit more, but you know, that's that's what we had these fights for, you know, that's to, to get better and look back and reflect. And uh, July 8th, we're going to be sharper than ever. And one potential positive of, of the fact that it did go the distance, and I think we talked about this after the fight, was that it, that it may have helped you in terms of you looked more human than usual. Uh, opponents are, are more willing to fight you now. Do you sense that that, that is indeed the case? That's good. He felt right for the trip. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Roman Villa offers a much better style to showcase your offense, but he's a dangerous puncher. He's got 24 KOs and 26 wins, but he had to content himself with a very close majority decision win over Rashidi Ellis on your last card in January. What have you seen of him? What do you think of him? And what are you expecting from him on July 8th? Uh, Roman Villa is a good fighter, you know, um, pressure fighter. Um, and that style is telling, telling me from you coming, coming forward, you know, he doesn't really have defense, you know, he just he's trying to walk and throw big shots and things like that. He doesn't jab, you know, um, and that's it's it's gonna be perfect, you know. We're gonna July is gonna be a great night, you know, and I, I can't wait. It's the kind of guy you'd like to go obviously you've got to go up against and beat whoever that's there, but this is the mm-hmm. kind of style that really suits you, isn't it? Uh any style would suit me, you know. Uh, I just my last fight, you know, I just I was I feel like I was rushing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Rushing and looking for the big shot. And I, this fight, we we back to having fun, you know, uh, not looking for it. Just let it come to me. And I know it's going to come. Just got to be patient. That's all. So are, are you putting any pressure at all on yourself to get the knockout against Via and not, not wanting to go the distance two fights in a row? Or with that mindset you just described of looking to have fun, there isn't any such pressure? I mean, no, there's no pressure because I'm going there looking to have fun. Every time I have fun. Uh, I, I come on with a big knockout, you know, another highlight knockout, and um, that's the that's the goal. Just gotta have fun and stay relaxed, and, and we gonna have fun and put on the show, and uh, we gonna. The goal is to, to I really want to like beat him up, break him down, and I want his I want his team to throw in the towel. If I don't catch him with a big shot, I want his team to throw in the towel because I'm this is gonna be like too much of an onslaught, you know. I just want I want to put on a beautiful show, you know. I want to showcase my skills and be sharp, and. Uh, like I said, beat him up, rip him up, break him down, you know, and get the knockout or the stoppage, you know, let his team through the talent. And, and speaking of putting on the show, is there any little bit of extra desire to to do that when you're fighting so close to home in Atlantic City, knowing it's going to be a hometown crowd there for you? 
Uh, I mean, it's always fun, you know, fighting close to home. You know, it's going to be like fighting at home. You know, uh, a lot of people going to come out and support and show love. And the crowd going to definitely be there. And we're going to have some fun. We're going we're gonna to show up. And I can't wait, you know. Uh, I want, Like I said before, I've seen a lot of people talking. I want everybody to keep that same energy. July 8th, no suicide. Stay where you at. All right, I know, obviously, you're focused on your fight, but there's another pretty big fight in your division uh, taking place three weeks after yours. Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, of course. Who do you think is going to win in that one? What are your thoughts about that? Um, That's a great fight, 50-50 fight. Um, it's going to come down to whoever in the best shape, whoever, you know, on point, you know, whoever locked in, whoever the most hungry is, and whoever right just take them belts. And I feel like we're not going on until fight night. So we'll see on fight night. It's 50-50 fight for me. You feel that any guy's got any kind of matches up better than the other? Anyone's got maybe more tricks that they can use if necessary? I mean, I feel like it's uh, kind of even to me. I feel like everything like even out because Smith's bigger, but it's but a little faster. So it's like, I feel like everything just like even out, you know? We, we know that you want to, to fight the winner and get your shot at the welterweight championship of the world. So when Spence and Crawford square off, are you rooting for a definitive dominant win by one of them? Doesn't matter who, just so that an immediate rematch between the two of them is less likely? Uh, yes. Uh, I don't care who won. And I hope whoever won, you know, uh, be convincing and not too close. <laughs> so we don't get a rematch clause. <laughs> So, so I could be able to fight the winner, you know, fight, the, fight, you know, fight Bo or Spence, whoever won, you know, and be able to collect all them belts and, you know, d- defend it a couple of times and go ahead and move up to 54 and, and try to collect all the belts at 54 and do the same thing at 60, then maybe even 68. So that's the goal. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of goals all at one time. You got, a, you got, you got big eyes there, Boots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we, st- we, start, we, we, start, we start with July 8th, though. Starting with right. July 8th. We ain't looking past Roman Villa. You know, we're going, like I said, we're going to have some fun. We're going to shine. Um, got to ask you also about one other upcoming fight. Your fellow Philly fighter, Stephen Fulton's up in a real big challenge in Japan against Noe Inoue. How do you feel about that fight? Uh, that's a great fight. I think, I feel like a lot of people overlooking Scooter or Schoolboy stuff, you know. Um, and <laughs> people just don't know. And, and they're going to see on, on fight night. And I think, I think Scooter going to just be too big for him. I think he's going to be able to outwork him, outsmart him. You know, I think it's going to be a lot easier for uh, Scooter than everybody think. And I think Scooter going, I think he either going to get a, a late stoppage or he going to, you know, get a, a unanimous decision. Well, uh, last thing, uh, Boots, you're you're known for wearing some colorful outfits into the ring. Uh, can you give us any kind of a tease of what the getup is going to look like <laughs> on July 8th? <laughs> July 8th, I just got to tune in on July 8th. We got something special you know, for July 8th. You know, I always got to have something, something nice. We can't get a little hint? <laughs> no hint. All right. All right. I guess we'll just have to see. All right. Hey, look, uh, Jerome Boots Ennis, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure. And uh, best of luck to you on July 8th. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Boots. It is it's great that he... Uh, keeps showing up on the podcast and uh, and is a regular and he's uh, he's always entertaining um let's make our picks now for his fight against Roy Manvia. our competition is all tied up at 49 49 so eric does boots start a new knockout streak on saturday so i hinted at this before the interview uh but 
watching Rashidi Ellis win round after round against Via by being too quick and slick for him, again, until he wasn't those things anymore, uh, you know, until Via got dialed in and Ellis started to slow down, it makes it hard to picture something other than Boots just landing at will and piling up points. Via is definitely dangerous. One punch can change everything. You know, he's, he's a threat, and we know he can remain dangerous deep into a fight. The question is whether he'll be able to make it deep into the fight against Boots. I don't think he will. I think it's all Boots for the first several rounds, which leads to some desperation and aggression from Via, which leads to maybe a decent moment or two for Via, but which ultimately opens him up to the punches that hurt him. I'm going to say Boots scores a couple of knockdowns and gets a TKO win in round eight and probably maintains his streak of uh, never losing a round along the way. This fight will not result in a change in the standings. <laughs> okay. um, but we get there by slightly different in slightly different ways. You asked me earlier if I thought the Via is tailor-made for boots, and I deferred my answer. I may now reveal that answer, and the answer is... <laughs> um, look, I quite like Vio as a fighter. We've seen him before, of course. He's generally exciting. Um, yes, he did struggle against Rashidi Ellis last time around, but it is fair to say Rashidi's better than his brother Ronald, for example, and, mm. and that lanky boxing style of his that is probably the perfect foil to, to Via's style. Um, but all of that said, yeah, look, Via is likely to play right into Boots' strengths. Uh, I can see Boots allowing himself to just maybe sit back a little bit i have a size i see it flipped actually the script to use hmm. i see um boots maybe countering via uh, uh early letting him come on to him uh picking him apart um and gradually stepping up his offense as via inevitably when that starts to happen when he realizes that my god if i play if i do my thing he's just gonna hit me and score against me and Via's going to start thinking in the ring and as we all know once you start doing that that's when the disaster can happen and and I think Via will start to second guess himself a little bit that'll slow him down and then uh Boots will sort of come onto the front foot and and sort of be the aggressor by around four or five it'll be Ellis on the offense Via increasingly struggling to figure out what to do as we mentioned he's never been down Via he might not go down uh he might or he might not but I, I picture a corner stoppage here. The corner saying, dude, you're just taking too much of a beating. Because right. I think by the final few rounds, it'll be pretty one-way traffic. Um, and, and I have also picked a corner stoppage in or at the very end of round eight. All right. Let's see if our picks diverge at all for the undercard. Uh, in the co-feature, 10 rounds in the middleweight division, we get our second look on Showtime at Cuba's Yoelvis Gomez. He shut out Jorge Cota last year to move to 6-0 and with five knockouts returns off a 14-month layoff to face Houston's Marquise Taylor, a good boxer, but definitely not a puncher with just one KO win on his 14-1-2 record. We were both somewhat disappointed in Gomez last time out, if I'm remembering correctly. He won easily, but didn't quite deliver on the hype. Kieran, what do you think of Taylor as a test for him, and what's your pick? Yeah, we were disappointed in Gomez last time, uh, although I rewatched at least part of that fight. Um to prepare for this and in hindsight i wonder if it was quite as bad a performance as we made it out to be i, I wonder if maybe our uh, our expectations were too high right. um that said it was undoubtedly sloppy at times he was too much in love with his power without you know doing enough to set it up and as a result coda was able to make it to the final bell i don't 
know that we learned a lot about Gomez from that fight, and I don't know if we'll learn a lot about him from this fight either. I, I suspect it will also leave us with some questions. I actually really like Taylor as an opponent for Gomez. Um, I, I might not have been wild about it before the Coda fight, but Taylor could be absolutely the right kind of foe to expose him a little bit if he is as wide and sloppy as he was at times against Coda. This is a very interesting clash of opposites. Um, Gomez, the knockout guy. Taylor, very much, as you said, not the knockout guy, more the stylish, cere cerebral, lanky boxer. If Taylor, what I think is going to happen is that Coda's, is that Gomez is going to come out strong. And, and if Taylor can withstand that early offense from him, it could end early. But I think that if Taylor is able to withstand what is likely to be a blitzing couple of early rounds, he might be able to start timing Gomez a little bit as he comes in. And I could even see a bit of a situation where by around round four or five, he's countering him really, really nicely, maybe even picking him apart a little. And we might start thinking about an upset. But then Gomez is just going to produce a booming power shot out of nowhere and Taylor is going to be out and we will still have questions. But Gomez will have his unbeaten record and another KO. Gomez KO6. All right. Uh, some similarities in our analysis, but uh, not the same uh, end result. Uh, I definitely went overboard with excitement about Gomez before his Showtime debut. So so I'm reeling it in this time and, and going the other way and saying I expect a, a tough, tricky fight for him here, though I am still picking Gomez to win. But Taylor is a very skillful boxer. He knows how to fight southpaws. He's a handful, either at range or in close. I think he's the right kind of fighter and the right level of fighter to tell us whether Gomez's performance against Coda was a random blip or a sign that Gomez is, in fact, a little bit less than at least I hyped him up to be uh, based mm. on having seen him before that. Now, maybe Gomez blows Taylor out inside three or four rounds. Maybe he really struggles to deal with Taylor. Basing my expectations on what I saw from Gomez last time, I think it's going to be closer to the latter, some struggle. Um, now, because Taylor lacks power, maybe Gomez will be absolutely fearless against him and, and be willing to take chances to land big shots and will indeed land a crushing blow along the lines of what you predicted. But I think this is going to be something of a struggle, and I like Taylor to last the distance as Gomez gets his second straight 10-round unanimous decision win. It'll be clear-cut something like 98-92 kind of scores. And, you know, perhaps Gomez will instead, you know, ice Taylor in two rounds, and he's just destined to be one of those guys that I'm always guessing wrong on. Uh, <laughs> but but my guess here is a distance fight. All right. Uh, the opener has the potential for fireworks. It's a 10-rounder between lightweight young guns Edwin De Los Santos, who's 23 years old, 15-1 and one with 14 KOs, and Joseph Adorno, 24 years old, 17-2-2, 14 KOs. Uh, the Southport De Los Santos from the Dominican Republic is coming off two straight early knockout wins over fighters with 12-0 records. The last one, a three-round uh, thriller against Jose Valenzuela. Adorno was last seen losing majority decision to Elvis Rodriguez in February. Uh, Neither of these fighters is shy about taking on tough competition, and they are both doing that on Saturday night. Eric, how much show-stealing potential does this opening bout have, and what is your pick? Huge show-stealing potential yeah. here, very clearly. Uh, De Los Santos, since a rough showbox debut where he wasn't in great shape, ran out of gas, lost a close decision to William Foster III. Since then, he's quickly become one of my favorite fun prospects in the sport. That Valenzuela fight... He was down once. He dropped Valenzuela twice. It was bombs away. 
Delos Santos can punch. I don't think this is one of those cases of a fraudulent KO percentage. I think he's a legit puncher who will keep scoring knockouts somewhat regularly against good opposition. Adorno, he's a guy who I'm just not quite sure what to think. He has faced a steady stream of really strong opposition for a guy who's only 24 and has only had 21 fights. He lost to Elvis and to Michelle Rivera. He drew with Jermaine Ortiz. He eked out a win over Hugo Alberto Roldan. He's never been stopped, but he has been hurt and dropped. We know what level he's on, pretty much. Good young fighter, not quite elite prospect. More often than not so far has been coming up just short at this level. So I I would say De Los Santos should be the favorite here. But if Adorno can take his punch, he can absolutely pull the mild upset. I'm going to trust my gut that's telling me De Los Santos is a special kind of puncher. And I'm going to say... We see a back-and-forth war that delights the crowd in Atlantic City until a massive shot drops Adorno, and he can't get out of that round. That round, I'm saying, will be the seventh, De Los Santos by KO, seven, in a fight that helps make my trip to Atlantic City very worthwhile. (laughs) I'm super into this fight. I I really am. Um, You look at their recent performances, and I you might think that it's not much of a, of a challenge to make a pick here and probably not just De Los Santos, but De Los Santos by spectacular knockout. But, you know, you mentioned some of the opposition that Adorno has gone up against and it's probably, it's, it's pretty high for someone at his level, but I have a I know that's very similar to what you just said here that I do wonder if we have seen Adorno's level, his upper mm-hmm. level, he's continually bumped up against that ceiling, a pretty darn good ceiling, but he's bumped up against it, and I wonder if he'll break through that. Um, I, I was for a little while going back and forth on this. Um, I can see Valenzuela, um, I can see De Los Santos, excuse me, just proving too strong. But I can also see Adorno, you know, maybe being able to resist um, what De Los Santos brings and, and to be able to, to hang in there and, and pull out the win at the end. But my crystal ball for a while was a little foggy, and then gradually it began to clear up. Um, <laughs> This is one of those fights where I could totally see making a pick, it going the opposite direction, and me going, oh, yeah, I could totally have seen that happening. Um, But on balance, I'm going to go with the hot hand. I, too, think it's going to be an interesting, exciting back-and-forth fight. I, too, think that it's going to end with a big, booming De Los Santos uh, punch. I'm just giving Adorno the credit of a couple more rounds. I'm going to pick De Los Santos in round nine of a terrific, terrific fight. All right. While all that is going on in Atlantic City, there is another much anticipated welterweight fight taking place in San Antonio and airing on DAZN. Um, After a couple of delays due to health issues, Virgil Ortiz Jr. returns from an 11-month layoff to face Amantis Danionis, who's himself actually been inactive for 15 months since defeating Ratchet Batayev. Uh, Eric, do you expect we will see a full-strength Ortiz in this one? Can he win if he isn't at full-strength? Give me your expectations for this one. So Ortiz said in an interview that he's been fighting well below 100% for a while, that between long COVID and the rhabdomyolysis, he's fought several fights in a compromised state, Mm. including his big KO win over Maurice Hooker. He said that he was nowhere near 100% for that fight, which says both, wow, this guy could really be elite if he could 
just get fully healthy. And it also makes me worry. Maybe he'll never be 100%. And mm. maybe he just doesn't want to delay this Stan Jonas fight again. And so maybe he'll be feeling kind of meh and is just going to go through with it anyway on Saturday. Um, yeah, I, I, I do have my doubts about whether he can win if his body isn't ready to go all out round after round. I mean, Stan Jonas, he doesn't have Ortiz's level of talent and Ortiz's ceiling, but he's damn good. He's in his physical prime at 28. He's better than Hooker was by the time he fought Ortiz. He's better than Mean Machine. He's Ortiz's best opponent to date, to put it simply. It's really interesting to have this fight the same night as Boots versus Villa. Yeah. This is the whole next generation of 147 yeah. pounders competing at the same time. We'll have some really interesting compare contrast to do next week. Not impossible that Virgil Ortiz, if he wins impressively, could leapfrog Boots in the public yep. opinion standings. But again, the health issues concern me. And I'd I hate for Stan Jonas to win and we put an asterisk on it because of that. Yeah. Um, it's a hell of a fight. It really is. I don't think I'm being a bad company man if I say this is the more compelling of the two main event matchups on Saturday. Now, hopefully, fight fans will be able to watch both, that this one won't get in the ring until after Boots Via is over. Uh, there, There isn't much to care about on this undercard. Uh, a Marlon Esparza fight is the co-feature. So I hope it lines up that we can watch the full Showtime triple header and then catch Ortiz Stanionis. Um, I know we don't have to make picks. It's not a Showtime fight. But I will say Ortiz, by competitive decision, is my pick. Uh, w- what are your thoughts on this fight, Kieran? Very similar to yours. I think this has the potential to be an extremely difficult undertaking for Ortiz. Uh, even if he was at the top of his game and in perfect health. Gosh, Stan Jonas is just so good and and mostly just so strong. Right? He isn't, like you said, he, he doesn't have the, the, the skills necessarily of an Ortiz. And he isn't a one-punch knockout guy, but God, he'll wear you down and beat you up. Um, Ortiz is more skilled, he's faster, but Guys like Stanionis can really just take it out of you. Um, you know what this matchup makes me think of just a smidge? is Danny Jacobs, Dmitry Pirog. Um, mm. Hyped, undefeated young American gets upset by a strong, relatively unheralded guy from across the sea. Um, mm. Especially when you factor in that Ortiz has had those health problems, while Jacobs, unknown to him at the time, was was about to begin his health problems. Right. If Ortiz is able to win this, I, I agree with that comment that you made earlier. That I think if Ortiz is able to win this definitively and clearly, it will be a massive statement. It will be a bigger win than anything that Boots yet has on his resume, because I think that highly of Stanionis. Right. If it's a clear, definitive, wow, no doubt about it, he just wiped the floor with Stanionis, that would be incredibly, incredibly impressive. I do think he'll win. But I think he's going to have to walk through fire to do it. Um, he's going to be feeling this uh, for a little while afterwards because I just think Stan Jonas is just that tough of a guy. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one as well. And uh, it's a pity that you can't do picture in picture on, <laughs> on TVs anymore because uh, if they are on at the same time, I definitely want to try and watch them both. I guess I'll be watching one on one device and one on the other. That's what um, I was going to say. Picture The new picture yeah. in picture is two separate screens. <laughs> Precisely. Uh, I, I think it's a terrific fight. And, and credit to both men, A, for taking the fight and hanging in there and making it happen. Both could have quite easily gone off in different directions. Um, and, uh, yeah, terrific fight for, for both guys. 
I really like the uh, the Jacob's pirogue reference. I hadn't thought of hmm. that one. This is why I keep you around, Kieran. Every now and then, a little, that... little nugget of gold. <laughs> little nugget indeed. All right. Uh, <laughs> it's time for this week's edition of the fight game. And uh, confession time. I was working on this up until the very last minute. I, I came up with the fight 20 minutes before we sat down to record hmm. and was practically typing out the last clue as, uh, as we got ready to record. So... You can look at this in one of two ways. Either this is a last minute, just thrown together job, or it's wonderfully fresh. Mm, I guess, I guess, I guess we'll know. The last soon. Okay, we'll, we'll soon see. find out. I'll just make a guess. Is it uh, Pierrot and Jacobs? It is. Well done. Congratulations. <laughs> All right. Next segment. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Um, and I only had time for one clue, and it was this fight was Danny Jacobs against Dimitri Pirog. <laughs> Ooh, I need to think about this. Hmm. Yeah, all right, okay. Um, here we go with clue number one. They say a good big man will always beat a good little man, but that isn't always how it goes at all. And there are plenty of occasions when the man moving up in weight proves victorious. This was one of those occasions. Okay, all right. Certainly not a clue that's going to isolate one specific option for me it leaves it pretty wide open uh i'll sort of think out loud the before you even finished reading the clue my mind was going to roy jones and john ruiz uh maybe i shouldn't think about heavyweights though i could think about any number of many pacquiao moving up type of fights uh like when he beat oscar i'll just go uh, you know don't want to I don't want it to turn out to be Roy Jones and John Ruiz, and it was the first thing I said, and I didn't guess it. So I may as well go with my gut first instincts. Is it Roy Jones beating John Ruiz? It isn't. Okay. All right. Clue two. All right. Clue two. And this is, you know, why you re- this will immediately reveal that, you know, that wasn't correct because... <laughs> The winner was not done moving up through the divisions just mm. yet either. He would add a couple more during the course of his Hall of Fame career. Okay. So, may I ask a qualifying question? Would you refer yes, to sir. it as a Hall of Fame career if he is not in the Hall of Fame yet, but clearly will be one day? In other words, should I be considering Manny Pacquiao for this? He is in the Hall of Fame. He is in the Hall of Fame. Okay, that's that's yes, So I won't waste to guess on Manny Pacquiao. So it's someone else who was a good little man who moved up and beat a good big man and then kept moving up. Um, don't really think of any of Floyd's move-up fights as particularly him being outsized in any notable way. Uh, Quali- another qualifying. Okay. Don't think that it's a massive weight disparity. It's really an issue of, of moving up a division, but it's not as if there okay. was a huge discrepancy. Okay, all right, all right. Okay. Um, but any number of other guys who won titles in various divisions and kept moving up. Duran famously did it. Maybe Duran is on your brain because you recently interviewed him. Uh, so what the hell? Let's say that this was uh, Duran beating Sugar Ray Leonard at welterweight in their first fight. It isn't. Okay. All right. Uh, clue three answers your qualifying question for clue two. <laughs> okay. The loser is also in the Hall of Fame. In fact, both men went into the Hall of Fame recently at the same time. 
Ah, both went in recently at the same time. So the first names that come to mind are Morales and Barrera, who I believe went in the same year. But I also, when we had, was it when we had Al on the show, you did the first Morales-Barrera fight. Now, in that case, uh, neither of them was moving up. They were both already, they were, it was at the division they were both in. One, I'm trying to remember if maybe for their, but nah, I don't feel like either of them went on to win a bunch more titles. It could have been Morales winning the, nah, I don't think so. All right, I'm going to, I'll feel silly if it is one of those fights and I've sort of thought myself out of it, but I don't, I don't really think those fit. Um, so now who else did, did Carbajal and Gonzalez go in together? But they, I don't think that was either one was a, was a smaller guy moving up in weight when they fought. I'm really struggling with two other fighters who went into the Hall of Fame together and fought each other along the way. Um, recently went into the Hall of Fame together. Uh, who actually won the second Barrera-Morales fight? I believe it was Barrera got the win and would have... Was he the smaller guy moving up? Just for the sake of not taking forever and getting to... Let's get to clue four. I'll say Barrera-Morales too, although I kind of doubt that's correct. I will say that you have been going in the wrong direction over the course of this, that you were closer than you realized early and you're getting mm. farther away. And I do believe that clue number four okay. will give you the answer. Okay. Both men went through major fallow periods in their careers. The loser went into something of a tailspin after this defeat before recovering to become fighter of the year almost a decade later. Okay. The winner went from strength to unprecedented strength it seemed he had no limits until suddenly he did. I was very close at the beginning. I named one of the fighters right at the yep. start. But, you gave me um, a mini but, heart attack right at the yeah. very beginning. <laughs> and about three words into clue four, I had when the major fallow periods, I, I, I figured it out. It is Roy Jones moving up to defeat James Tony uh, in 1994. Is that right? November 18th, 1994. Yes, All sir. All right. All right, got there on clue four with uh, much as you patted yourself on the back for some good guesses uh, before uh, getting oh, to the right answer last yeah. week. I will pat myself on the back for at least some quality guesses before finally figuring it out on clue four. Yeah, absolutely. It did feel a little bit as if you were doing what we so often do and getting stuck in the, the wrong kind of uh, uh, current there a little bit as you were getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> right. <with> your fighters. <laughs> right. I, yeah, I was once and once you start, as you said many times, once you start to like lock in on a part of the scale, it's amazing. It can yeah. be so. It was it was helpful for you to tell me to to eventually unlock on that. Although I guess clue four, I would have probably figured it out even if you had so. redirected me. But uh, what was clue yeah, five going to be? Despite the loss, one of the two was known for being able to turn the lights out. <laughs> All kinds of superlatives were used to describe the winner, but whatever you, you do. Don't call him gifted. <laughs> nice. Nice uh, self-referential <laughs> final clue there. I like it. Okay. All righty. Uh, let's look back at some of the past few days' fights. Uh, 
On Thursday, our BFF Kurt Scooby knocked out Hank Lundy in two rounds of a junior welterweight contest, after which the veteran Lundy announced his retirement with a record of 31-14-1. Scooby moves to a lucky 13-0 with 11 KOs. On Saturday in Manchester, the fight that we referenced at the top. Uh, Savannah Marshall rebounded from her loss to Clarissa Shields to move up a division and become undisputed super middleweight champion with a majority decision win over Franchon Cruz de Zern that should have been unanimous. And heavyweight Jared Anderson's knockout streak came to an end when he was taken the distance by Charles Martin, although Anderson, in this case, won a very wide unanimous decision. Anderson is now 15-0 with 14 KOs, while Martin drops to 29-4-1 with 26 KOs. What stands out to you from that action, Eric? So I found an upload of Scooby Lundy on YouTube. Uh, It was fairly sad. Uh, Lundy is a few years past being able to put up resistance against a guy as young and Uh strong as Scooby. It was one right hand from Scooby, which Prime Lundy probably wouldn't have taken as cleanly as this version of Lundy did. One right hand, Mm. and it was as good as over, even though he did go down, get up, uh, go down again, and then it was stopped. I I do very much hope this is the end of Hank Lundy. Um, As for the women's fight, the scores were all over the map. I thought Kinda understandably so. I didn't think either extreme, though at one end it was 99-92 and at the other end 95-95. I didn't think either extreme was impossible. I had it 98-92 for Marshall, but Hmm. it was a fight where there were five rounds that Marshall won clearly, I thought, one round that Cruz Desern definitely won, and then four fairly close rounds. Hmm. And it was the judge from Maryland who had it 95-95. So while I was initially surprised to hear a 95-95 scorecard in Britain, later learning that it came from the American judge. I mean, I think Clarissa Shields scored it 100-90 to for Cruz Desern. But anyway, Cruz Desern is game, and and she's rough to fight, but she's very slow and predictable. I didn't think Marshall was really anything special on this night, but she she was just good enough at maintaining distance and rolling out of the way of telegraphed right hands and landing clean punches here and there to win comfortably on my card. Um, And a quick personal betting note on this. I usually talk in pizzas. I don't usually like to reveal the actual dollar amount I win or lose, but this one's kind of funny and worth revealing. I bet on Cruz Desern as a plus 310 underdog before the fight, just a little too good of a price to resist. Uh, But then around the end of the fifth round, when I had given four straight rounds to Marshall I was fairly certain my bet on Cruz Desern was going to lose. I did an in-fight bet on Marshall just before the odds became prohibitive in her favor and set up a situation where now I would lose a little bit if Franchon won the fight, but if Marshall prevailed, I would end up 25 cents ahead. So long story short, (laughs) uh, I won 25 cents on this fight. Not even a slice of pizza. Maybe enough to buy one slice of tomato, maybe. Yes. One one slice. Not even a whole tomato. One slice of tomato. That's what I won here. Um, (laughs) Anderson, Martin. uh, I'm glad I didn't bet this one because I was sure Big Baby was going to blow him out quickly. I would have bet on knockout or bet on the under or both. Um, I definitely underrated Charles Martin. He he far exceeded my expectations. Likewise. Um, Big Baby. Look, every prospect has a tough distance fight or two on the way up. Mike Tyson was knocking out everybody, but then he went the distance with Quick Tillis and Mitch Green. I think it's clear that Big Baby is not ready for a top 10 opponent yet. Uh, But he showed a good chin. He persevered. He did win clearly. I had it eight rounds to two. Uh, He needs some seasoning still, but 
I think it's possible he gets to the top of the heavyweight mountain. The problem is him saying he's already burnt out on boxing and he wants to be retired by 27. Uh, He's 23 Mm. now. He really shouldn't be challenging for a title for another two years or so, ideally. Mm. I just would hate to see him rushed into something because he's declared that he wants to have a short career. Uh, And also, if if he kind of has one foot out the door at age 23, that's a problem. I don't know. Very hard to say right now if this is the next American heavyweight champ or not. Yeah, I mean, I think he took a lot of criticism for that performance. I think my thought was, I thought it was quite a mature performance, actually. Um, When it became clear that he wasn't getting the knockout, he he was trying different things in there, which which I thought was was good. Um, Martin was better than I thought he was going to be as well. I I was rolling my eye so hard. I almost had a concussion with all the um, hype of Martin being a former heavyweight champion of the world that came (laughs) from ESPN. Um, But he was better uh, than I expected. And he showed his experience there. And yeah, and you know what? Anderson can't have that many rounds under his belt. I mean, he's just been knocking people out so much that um you know we forget that and yeah you mentioned mike tyson let's not forget tyson fury punched himself in the face and got dropped by steve cunningham <laughs> right. um so two, two separate yeah. occasions punch two separate occasions face. even right. yes exactly <laughs> um lennox had some grim fights on his way up at mm-hmm. times so it does happen um yeah I, I you know what if it if it pauses the hype a little bit or calms it down that's probably to anderson's benefit yeah um maybe lets him just get on with with the task at hand but yeah that was disconcerting if you're if you're fed up or burned out with the sport already that's not good really and you should well probably not be in the sport because it's a dangerous thing business to be in if if you're not into being there um it was interesting i caught also i don't know how much of the uh, i think you, you saw most of the uh other card from from manchester didn't you or um i was interested to see yeah that when natasha jonas won she Uh, that that i didn't see okay so she won and she also made a reference to you know she was asked what do you want next and she goes oh well there's you know what the promoter can do what the broadcaster can wants to do and and then there's whatever i want to do before i'm done with it and we'll we'll this business and we'll see what happens and then she said to the interviewer afterwards i cannot wait until i'm on the same side of the ring as you and Mm. literally said i cannot wait and that was another sign that well maybe you shouldn't then um simply because god once you've got that one foot out the door uh so i don't know we'll see what happens with jared anderson It it might be interesting but you know in the long term maybe it'll be beneficial to him how things went yeah it's a fine line we Basically, it's it's good to be thinking about an exit strategy, yeah. to have a bit of an exit plan, but to already be dreaming of making that exit while you're in the thick of yeah. your career is probably not good. Yeah. Uh, all right. We uh, we started the podcast with our news main event, Canelo versus Charlo. Uh, now let's quickly run through the rest of the news. Uh, two heavyweight rematches are apparently on. Zhang Zhilei, Joe Joyce 2 has been announced for September 23rd at OVO Arena Wembley in London. And just before we sat down to record, Boxing News and Sky Sports both reported that after negotiations briefly seem to be trending in the wrong direction, Anthony Joshua Dillian White 2 is now on, but there has been no official announcement yet. Uh, A notable women's fight was announced this week, uh, though it doesn't have a date yet. Jessica McCaskill is set to meet rising British star Sandy Ryan. Showbox will be returning 
to my favorite local-ish venue on August 4th, Wind Creek Casino in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. The triple header has a 130-pound main event of Jordan White versus Eridson Garcia. At 154 pounds, Phillies Paul Kroll meets Guido Schramm. And a returnee from the last Wind Creek card, Julian Gonzalez, takes on Johnny Spell at 130 pounds. And lastly, a tough item to discuss, but it shouldn't be ignored. Adrian Broner did an interview on a show called The Danza Project and was clearly not sober. The interview was taken down shortly after, but clips had already circulated. I watched about 30 seconds of it. I don't particularly recommend anyone seek it out, uh, but I'll just say human to human. I hope someone can help help Broner get himself on track because clearly he is not headed in a good direction. Kieran, your thoughts on any of these news items? Um, yeah, I guess I don't really want to say much about AJ and White until it's all official and official. Um, Eddie Hearn was also talking about AJ and Wilder then being, you know, really close to being done for January, uh, assuming he wins this. So, uh, let's not get quite that far ahead of ourselves. Um, Zhang Joyce was a good fight first time. It should be a good fight second time, and Joyce may very well win second time around. But, as I have said before, rematch clauses for fights like these are bullshit, and Zhang deserved a chance to face Tyson Fury and make a lot of money. Um, I don't have much to say right now about the Showbox card, except, well, we may be biased, but Showtime's crushing it this year. (laughs) We are biased, but it's still an accurate statement. It's still true. It's still true, exactly. Um, Look, the important story here is that Broner interview. I didn't see it or the clip but I did read about it. A um, couple of thoughts on this. First of all, I did see that a lot of people were mad at this these Danza Project folks for airing any of it at all. I don't know who they are. I don't know who's involved. I'd never heard of them before. Um, but my understanding, it was a live stream. They paid money to rent the studio or rent streaming time. They arranged and rearranged the interview with Broner multiple times. Right. And he and his people said it was okay to go ahead with it and encourage them to use it all afterwards. And they took the live stream down rapidly anyway. And I believe they did it, took it down before they started getting a hard time. I feel free to disagree with me. I don't think that these guys did anything wrong. um, My take is if you go through several attempts to arrange an interview and the guest shows up wasted, that's on the guest, not on the host. I don't think they have. And and again, do feel free to challenge me. I I don't think they have any professional or ethical obligation to do anything different. I don't think they even had necessarily an obligation to take it down. No, I said. No, I was just gonna. No, I was just gonna say. I I don't object to any of that. I I agree completely. If it was live streamed, they could. They didn't know beforehand. I I guess the only criticism would be cut the interview short sooner once you realize it's a train wreck. Other than other than that, nothing wrong with live streaming it and then quickly taking it down once you realize it shouldn't be up. Yeah, I mean. There's the humanity perspective. I mean, look, had Bronner come on our show like that, we wouldn't have used it, but we don't go live. And, you know, right. I, I think you and I would have been like, well, we can't use that for a, right. not only because the interview would have been terrible, but from a purely humanitarian yes. perspective. Um, the problem here is, is with the people around Bronner. If mm-hmm. he apparently had a bunch of folks with him and they all said, no, 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 use it. It's fine. If the people were allowing him or encouraging him to show up like that and go ahead with the interview, they should be ashamed of themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, They're either too weak or too dumb or too enabling or too something to say no to him and to be a real friend and to push back against him. 
I, I don't care what their explanation is. People like that are terrible. Um, as for Bronner himself, you know, a lot of people obviously offering comments along the lines that I hope he, you know, hoping he gets the help he needs. I, I endorse that. Um, you know, the problem with Bronner is that he's just been such a dick to so many people right. that there's just not a tremendous well of sympathy there. And yes. a lot of po people talking about, you know, that, you know, mental illness is a problem. It doesn't, I'm fully aware of, of mental illness issues. I'm fully aware of, of alcoholism and substance abuse issues. Um, I have somebody very close to me who's dealing with alcoholism and substance abuse issues. You can have those issues and not have mental illness. You can just be a dick. And Occam's razor suggests that that's just who Bronner is. Right. But he is clearly in a bit of a tailspin now. Um, I always got the impression, I hung out with him for a little bit for HBO early-ish on in his career, and I just got the impression that he just never matured emotionally. He mm -hmm. was always the class clown. He always was just trying to get um, people to like him from, you know, just being a clown, being an idiot. And, and that was the way he, why he behaved the way that he did. And it worked for him for a while, and now it's not working for him. And I think he's, and my guess is that he's just floundering. Um, and he doesn't know what to do with himself. And I think whether he is mentally ill or whether he, he's just, you know, struggling to figure out how to make things work, he needs better people around him. Yes. That's clearly, I, I don't know who these people are. He's had some great people, you know, like guys like Mike Stafford, his longtime trainer, good people. Mm -hmm. And I think he's, he's getting rid of some of them. I know Kevin Cunningham's around him. He's a good, strong man. And, but he's obviously not listening to Kevin Cunningham and Mike Stafford. He's got other people around him, which is like, oh, maybe you're, you're so funny and encouraging him. And you hate to see that because this is turning into a slow motion train wreck. Mm -hmm. And one hopes that it ends up better than one fears it is going to end up yeah you sort of there the pointing out that there is not like an endless well of, of of sympathy for the guy because of just who he's been all these years it's sort of a, a weird situation where we root for him we hope he gets himself together but we aren't going to expend as much emotional energy on him as we might on someone who we really liked all these years. Yeah. I, I, I hate to say that, but you know, you, it's um, I, and I think you're absolutely right that, you know, it's, it's stems from a maturity issue that he never grew up yeah. and, and you don't want to give up hope that someone can yeah. eventually. Um, this is not really a particularly good example, but it's the one that comes to mind is just Zab Judah was, a really immature kid yeah. in his 20s who made a lot of mistakes and underachieved yeah. and was never, you know, getting in trouble with the law and, and very, having various other issues on the level that, that Broner was. But just he needed to mature. And then at a certain point, he did. And he turned into yeah. like a really nice, mature guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so you don't want to give up hope on Broner. Um, but uh, I will echo your main point. He needs better people around him. Yeah. Indeed. All right. Uh, it is time for this week's top five challenge. Um, and on this July 4th weekend, he says, closing the circle mm. from the beginning of the podcast, there's really only one way to go. It is both an easy challenge because there are so many examples to choose from and a hard one because there are so many examples to choose from. <laughs> Give me, please, 
on this July 4th weekend, your top five victories by American boxers over British boxers. Mm. Um, it would be far easier the other way around, but that's not how things worked out in 1776. And subsequently, I know because I've seen Hamilton <laughs> several times, right. I might add. Um, my guess is the best way to do this is come up with a list of top UK boxers and then see what Yanks knock them off. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Is it too tricky? Is it too, is this doable? Um, you can come up with five, I right. guess, pretty easily. It's yeah. just, are they I would, B5? I don't know. Is this all right? Is I count? would think so. I think this is doable. I haven't, it's not, I, this is not a case where a flood of great options are <laughs> rushing to me immediately right. as you're dropping the assignment on me. But there have got to be some good ones I can think of. And, uh, you know, hardcore, lifelong American that I am and hardcore <laughs> Brit hater that I am, I'm sure I will relish the opportunity to find these fights. There you go. Yeah, I don't have a list either. Like like one or two kind of popped into my head, but they're mostly like famous from the British side. But um, yeah, this is, this is an interesting one, but there you go. When I do my countdown next week, I will be... <laughs> draped in the american flag from head as to toe should, as it should be this could actually be again to reference the top of the podcast your presidential announcement <laughs> don't count on yeah. that. i mean you know it's just there are all kinds of very very strange culture wars that need to be fought now right, and so you right. could just go right back to the beginning it's just like you're against the king <laughs> Right, I guess. Uh, I I actually my campaign slogan is is figured out. Vote for Raskin, way better than most of the other people who you could vote for. <laughs> Indeed, that's it. Yeah, that's that's, that's my, it. You that's should at least campaign. come in second. There you go. <laughs> right. All right, that will do it for this episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, we will be back next week with our post-fight analysis of the Boots Via card and the Ortiz-Stanionis fight uh, and our preview and predictions for yet another Showtime triple header featuring the likes of Frank Martin and Nonito Donaire. Uh, until then, thanks as always for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. <laughs>